Holy Gospel according to Luke, the first chapter. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And, as came, and he came to her and said, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this may be. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. The gospel of the Lord. I was reading an Advent reflection this week by my colleague, Michael Brecky, who a long time ago was a pastor here at LCR. And it struck a chord with me. He was kind of riffing on a quote from Walter Brueggemann, who says, Advent begins with a community of hurt. This community of hurt trusts in the Lord, the one true God, and becomes a community of hope. I don't know what Brueggemann had to say about the topic. I haven't read his, his writing on that, but the thought struck with me that Advent is about a community of hurt that by trusting in God is transformed into a community of hope. And that was a message that resonated this pandemic Advent season. I haven't spent a lot of time in my life thinking about Mary's community is hurting. It's there in the Bible, but the hurt kind of gets lost, overrun by all the Hallmark moments, like the angels with their glad tidings, and a betrothed young maiden, and shepherds tending their flocks on an ancient starry night. But Brueggemann was right, there is a world of hurt. Because we're talking about a real world and real life, and real people. People who were weary of Roman oppression, of burdensome taxes. People like us who were struggling with sickness, and even with death, with grinding work, 
and in so many cases, the hardships of poverty. People who had desperately wanted to have children and never could, and like the old priest Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, had reached old age and maybe the end of hope. There were people facing uncertainties of transitions, a young woman on the cusp of marriage, leaving home, entering adulthood, real people, real life, real struggles, real sadness, all wrapped up with angels and starry nights and shepherds and mangers. But if we're honest enough to admit it, just barely hidden underneath all the shiny wrapping paper and the glittery Christmas cards and the retail ads and the Christmas carols, community of hurt, I suspect we can all feel it at least a little bit. The sadness of remembering people that we once celebrated Christmas with and who are now gone, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, siblings, children, even dear friends. It's felt by those who are separated, by children at divorce, from divorce, by young adults living far from home. We miss the gatherings. We, we miss the reunions with our families. We're missing breaking bread with our friends and lifting a glass, hearing our voices blending together in resounding hymns at Christmas. You know, the radio might be blaring. It's the most wonderful time of the year. But we have mixed emotions, right? And some moments, our eyes may suddenly flood with tears in the midst of all the gladness. As Brecky put it, most of us have an Advent Christmas or Epiphany memory that brings to mind a flood of feelings and emotions that result in our saying with some longing with some passion, things aren't the same. Or I miss this person very much. He tells the story of a lady that he was visiting. I don't know if this was probably not this year, but in years past, a woman who was dying of cancer. She had had cancer a number of years back and had battled it, and done great. She was cancer-free for 10 years, and then she went uh, and was going for a final checkup. And the doctor told her, your cancer is back. So she begins a series of aggressive treatments, including having to make multiple trips back and forth to the Mayo Clinic. The cancer progressed. It didn't respond this time. They all knew it was gonna be her last Christmas. He said, so they gathered the family. They baked all the traditional favorite Christmas cookies. They sang all the familiar family songs. The house was filled with children and with laughter that rang out and the presents were exchanged and the feast was celebrated, but there was always a present reality that this would be her last Christmas. That's the paradox of Advent. Sybil Macbeth writes, Advent is full of paradoxes. In the midst of the hurt, there is hope. In the midst of the fear, there is faith. In the midst of the darkness, there is light. 
Perhaps the greatest of the paradoxes is that in the hurt, we discover once again the very power of hope. Advent, he said, was not a pair of rose-colored glasses that makes the world look pink and rosy. Advent is the ultimate reality therapy. Advent is seeing that we need God, that we need God's love and mercy and grace more now than ever before. And it's also, though, about the grace of God entering into human life. The grace of God, the very presence of God, becoming enfleshed and living and dwelling among us, full of light and life. Gabriel's greeting to me reveals it. He said, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. You have found favor with God. But the word behind favored and favored one is actually the word grace. Greetings, grace, the angel says. One hint in the text as to why Mary should be graced, why she should be chosen or more pious than anybody else. It doesn't say that she's more wise or more faithful. Nothing is said about Mary's attributes or her character. Nothing, just that God has chosen to favor her. Even though she is totally unprepared, Mary's caught up in God's plan for salvation. She becomes an integral part of that plan of salvation. She is graced. So are we. So are we. To be graced is to know that pain and sorrow give way to life and joy. A graced life gathers with shepherds at a manger to peer and wonder at the Son of God. And a graced life will gather with women at the foot of the cross and before an empty tomb. But on the other side of the pain, a graced life will be raised up on Easter morning, transformed, hope born anew. This Advent, amid the pandemic pain and grief, there are signs of that hope. Not just one, but two vaccines. Record-breaking time, truly a modern miracle. Not an instant answer, and yet providing that light of hope at the end of the tunnel. God is not done with us. Babies are being born. Families are united on Zoom. We're going to worship, pandemic or not. God has chosen each one of us, favored each and every one of us, graced each of us, and spoken God's word over and into us. So that by the power of God's spirit, God can descend upon us a community of hurt and conceived in Christ can become like Mary, God-bearers transformed by faith into a community of hope for the world. Amen.